In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. We have in today's gospel yet another scene of John the Baptist being confounded by Jesus. It happens quite a lot. At the Jordan River, John asks Jesus, why am I baptizing you? Shouldn't it be the other way around? John is saying in between the lines to Jesus, your baptism is far superior to mine because you are far superior to me. In fact, we're not in the same league at all, Jesus. My baptism amounts to telling folks to clean up. Yours, Jesus, saves their lives. And Jesus ignores the compliment and answers, John, you and I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean? So many questions. Uh, Another way of putting this, as some translations read, uh, is this is the right way for us, you and me, John, to fulfill all that is required of us. Baptism, as it represents our entrance into the family of God, is for many of us a commitment our parents made for us when we were children. And it becomes something that we then own. And it becomes an ongoing allegiance to the life of faith that is required of us. This is why we regularly renew our baptismal vows. This is the language of requirement. It's, we don't typically hear, hear that in our life of faith. Jesus was not giving John an option, nor did Jesus have an option. When John says, this is crazy, can't you baptize me instead? Jesus does not say, well, sure, John, that that makes total sense. Let's do it your way. And I think it's rather astounding that Jesus submitted to the baptism of John, even as John had to submit to doing it. And we might call the baptism of Jesus mission critical in that the baptism has a role in the carrying out of Jesus' specific mission. When the Spirit comes upon him, Jesus is visibly equipped and commissioned to undertake his messianic mission. What is required of us was required of Jesus first. First things first. Jesus can't be the omega without being the alpha, which begins the sequence to the omega. He has to be the first to be the last. And as Jesus is born into the human family, we are born into the family of God and all the privileges and requirements of being a member of that family. And we discussed in the Catechesis Elred Hour, Epiphany is the, is the continual unfolding of this initial starburst over Jesus. We saw dramatically enacted uh, this past Friday night. Jesus' birth as a human being. To the incarnate one being manifest in new ways, and Jesus' baptism, which launches his mission, and the wedding miracle at Cana, which inaugurates Jesus' mission. The miracle at Cana is, in, is the gospel in year C of our, of our lectionary uh, cycle. Jesus was not on a quest for self fulfillment, he did not need to garner a following of millions, he did not need to be an influencer. He was rather sent to fulfill all things. That was his purpose. And Jesus has to do all which is required of him. And he tells John, you have to do it too. You have to do it with me. They do this together, which is how God operates in the world, together with us. As Jesus does, so do we. I have heard this passage preached that Jesus is our substitute in baptism. He was repenting for not 
for his sin but ours. Maybe so, but that doesn't mean that Jesus comes to do it all for us. Our children start growing up when we stop doing things for them. And all our readings this morning give us a template for a fulfilling life as we follow and join Jesus in baptism, the identity that baptism confers upon us, and the purpose it establishes for us. Who am I? Identity. What am I to do? Purpose. We look first to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Who is Jesus? He's a beloved son. What does Jesus do? He doesn't only save us from our sins. He makes everything that's wrong right. Jesus fulfills what the, promise, or what the prophets promised. Jesus is identified with a suffering servant in Isaiah 42. Jesus is the one in whom God delights, the servant who does what the kings of Israel failed to do, to establish and maintain a just society. And in fact, the kings of Israel in times of prosperity, they actually facilitated the oppression of the poor. So God gave the responsibility to the people of Judah to be the suffering servant, to ensure the victory of justice. And then what they failed to do, Jesus does, so that Judah and all God's people on earth can do what Jesus did. What he has done, empowered by his spirit, we do it too. And Jesus goes back to the prophets and before the prophets to fully realize the purpose of God to all mankind to make us in his image and the promise of God to make it all right when we've made it all wrong, which brings the future into the past and the past and the future and redeems it all. And this has already happened. I realized on Friday, I was talking to Sarah Zimmerman about this Friday night at our, no, when was that? The Epiphany, yeah, Friday night, right? Yeah, outside. The scope and the deep reality of what Jesus has accomplished in the face of some very real and very agonizing stuff that people I love are going through. It's all done and all shall be well, even if it looks and feels like hell. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. That's his purpose. And he can do it because of who he is, the Son of God. And this is the Epiphany at Baptism. And this is Jesus' person. This is his identity. Not just the son, but the beloved son in whom the father takes enormous delight. And he can fulfill all things because he is full to overflowing with his father's love. To establish his father's beloved purpose for the world. To bring forth justice to the nations. Open the eyes of the blind. The disoriented and disintegrated as Father James preached on Christmas Eve to bring prisoners out of the dungeons of darkness, to bring justice for all. What a vision. The late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs stated in a debate with Richard Dawkins, he said the whole of the Hebrew Bible is a polemic against power. Israel's first president, Chaim Weizmann, notes that a fundamental principle which has been laid down by Jewish ages is this, thou shalt not make of the Torah a crown to glory in, or a spade to dig with. In other words, don't use Torah, Torah knowledge towards utilitarian ends, specifically for financial profit. Love casts out fear, which is the toxin that feeds power. And this, Jesus, is a suffering servant who does not bring justice by way of power and domination and self-promotion. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's so interesting that the gospel writers place the temptation 
right after the baptism because Satan is desperately trying to undermine what Jesus had just undergone in his baptism. Note how Satan opens his gambit. If you are the Son of God, he goes after Jesus' identity. Prove it, Jesus. Make yourself worthy of sonship. Then he tries to undermine uh, Jesus' purpose by promising Jesus the glory without the suffering. And what's Jesus' response to Satan? He sticks to the script, what has been written, so that he can fulfill it as he himself is full of the love of God. And this is the spoken word of father to son that fulfills all the written word, the spoken word of God to Jesus. You are my beloved son that sums up all of scripture. And he tells Satan, it is written. I follow what is written. I am not riffing or improvising, providing options, as you're trying to do now, Satan, as you did in the garden. And this is God's covenant to his people that Jesus is keeping and fulfilling. I had a good friend in Wheaton College, and he got married. He sang a song to his wife, and he wrote, In the darkest seasons when we find no reason at all, my word I will recall. Jesus married to us. That word he will recall, and he will keep it. Our life in baptism, then, what is it? It's an obedient response. And it's a response not to do everything right or to make all things right, because that's what Jesus has done. What we are required to do is simply the next right thing. And in this way, we affirm and confirm what Jesus has already done. And I'd like to think of our lives as the amen to what Jesus has already accomplished. Let it be, Lord. May it be so. So be it. This takes courage. This takes resilience, but most of all, it takes love. What love leads to directly is not power, but courage. The love of God for us and the love of God through us to our neighbors. Starting with our spouses, our children, our mothers and fathers, our brothers and sisters, at all souls and radiating, radiating outward to whomever God puts in our path. God doesn't love me so I can do what's right for me. God loves me so I can do what's right, period. Not to be right, but to do right. Whatever that is, no matter how hard it is. Because often what's hard is good. I love how Rowan Williams describes baptism as being led where Jesus is in the neighborhood of chaos, where humanity is most at risk, where humanity is most disordered, disfigured, and needy, and has forgotten its own destiny. All of life, all of love is a response to the life and love of God as manifested in his Son. And so much of our lives have that reverse. We, we spend our lives pursuing worthiness to gain love. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I love you. Go do what I've commissioned you to do, called you to do. Jesus is worthy to make all things right because he is first beloved. We do the next right thing because we are beloved. Amen.